only I. Of all the other princes of the world, be cased up like a holy relic. I have youth and a little beauty. In 2010, a production of The Duchess of Malfi was staged at Greenwich Theatre in London, directed by Elizabeth Freestone. You know, we, again, we never really explored that, did we? It would be quite interesting to look at that for you. Today, Elizabeth is revisiting the text and possible ways of interpreting it with three of the original cast members. It's the sense of it that she sort of just read it out loud and try and remind ourselves of it. Yeah, it's a hugely complex play to work on. A massive part of that is obviously the, the language, um, and you have to spend a, a large part of preparation before rehearsals and time during rehearsals just tackling the language. What do words mean? Why is he choosing certain words at, at certain times? How to make the story accessible? Um, how to technically help actors get their mouths around delivering some quite long thoughts, often parenthetical thoughts, you know, often uh, metaphoric thoughts. How do you do all of that with all of that poetry, but keep on story as well, keep the story moving forward? Once the, the words are in, you can really play then with the, the, the thoughts that come through the words. Once you've absorbed them mm -hmm. into your mind and, and body, then you're free to be able to yeah. Try, try different, different ways of saying ways, them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and different ways of processing thoughts. Yeah. Working with Elizabeth today are Ashlyn McGuckin as the Duchess, Tim Trelawar as Bossola, and Edmund Kingsley as Antonio. Why? What's all this? One of your eyes is bloodshot. Here, take my ring to it. What's all this? One of your eyes is bloodshot. Here, use my ring to it. I knew straight away that I didn't want to set it in Webster's time. So that was an early decision I made. I was really intrigued in the play by the build-up to war that happens in the background. There's this sort of slow rumble all throughout the play. It being set in a Catholic country was really crucial to the imagery that, that came to me. Um, so I suppose that lent itself to Europe. Um, I, I wanted to make it sort of accessible that we, knew, we as an audience had some kind of shared reference with the world of the play. So I think those decisions just, just led me quite easily to, to the 1930s and the build-up to fascism in the Second World War. Back in the 17th century, Webster's peers recognised the importance of his play and wrote verses praising it in the front of his book. One of these is by Webster's fellow playwright, Thomas Middleton. Thy note be ever plainness, tis the richest coat. Thy epitaph only the title be, right, Duchess, that will fetch a tear for thee. For whoe'er saw this Duchess live and die, that could get off under a bleeding eye. So... What Middleton's saying about Webster here is really, really important. It tells us about not only what Middleton thinks, but about what audiences think at the time. Thy style be ever plainness. It's a plain style that Webster's writing in. I sent for you. Sit down. Take pen and ink and write. What did I say? That I should write somewhat. <laughs> oh, I remember! <laughs> Besides talking about Webster's plain language, Middleton's commendatory verse celebrates the power of the Duchess as a character. Thy epitaph only 
the title be. Write Duchess, that will fetch a tear for thee. For whoe'er saw this Duchess live and die that could get off under a bleeding eye. So the audience has wept, and that's really important. They were moved. And this is very, very important in terms of how we then look at the text as script. How does Webster show us the Duchess creating that emotion in the audience? Make not your heart so dead a piece of flesh as to fear more than to love me, sir. Be confident. What is distracts you? I've got to admit that I didn't know Webster was as good as this when I first started working on the play. I've direct, I'd not directed Webster before, I've directed Shakespeare before. Um, and the, the more I looked at Webster, the better and better I think, I think he is. I think he's really rich um, uh, in terms of his, his mining of human experience. I mean, Shakespeare, Shakespeare probably uses mu much broader language. He has a broader frame of reference, broader imagery. You know, in a Shakespeare play, you'll get um, legal references and floral references, you know, God knows, naval references, anything and everything. Uh, whereas Webster's much more direct. He's much more kind of on message all, all the way through. But there's a, God, there's a muscularity about it and a, and a weight in it um, that, that's, yeah, it's pretty shocking at times. Webster peppers his text with proverbs or well-known sayings, all the more memorable as they're often presented in the form of rhyming couplets. Our value never shall be truly known till in the fisher's basket we be shown. In the market then my price may be the higher, even when I am nearest to the cook and fire. So to great men the moral may be stretched. Men oft are valued high when they're most wretched. A visible thing about the text of 1623 is that some uh, lines are italicised. And they're italicised because those lines are rhyming couplets or proverbs. And these rhyming couplets are a way of closing off a scene or a moment in a scene and just pausing. It's an indication, a dramatic indication of a pause, which is quite important. I am armed against misery, bent to all sways of the oppressor's will. There's no deep valley, but near some great hill. So it really closes that scene on that rhyming couplet. And with the Duchess having made a very important uh, political and personal point, Bossler doesn't say anything. Bossler doesn't have the last word in that scene. Rhyming couplets, the exit point for the Duchess, who's actually imprisoned, you know, she's being taken off the stage, but she has that last word in that rhyming couplet.